Acts chapter 26 is Paul's defense as he's been in prison for his faith, which a lot of times good Christians end up in prison. Paul's in prison for his faith because the the Jews were persecuting him and, you know, he appeals to Rome. Well, here in in Acts chapter 26, he gives his defense and he, he begins to tell about how he became a Christian because he at one time was not a Christian. Is the 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 most clear cut one hundred and eighty degree revolutionary experience with God, the road to Damascus, and, and he's standing before King Agrippa and he's giving the 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 details of this testimony. And I know some of you probably have testimonies like that. It might not have been the road to Damascus; it might have been the road to Shreveport or something. But God touched you somewhere. God touched you. Amen. And hallelujah for that. So Paul's given his defense, and he begins to share with King Agrippa the details of the events. And another, another guy was there, Festus. We're going to pick this up in verse 24. We're, def- we're not going to read the whole thing, but we're going to pick up the conclusion of it. As he finishes, I, I, I believe that probably a lot of people's jaw was on the floor. A lot of people were probably, you know, a- after Paul ended up and he concluded his sermon... Their jaw was probably on the floor. And we're going to pick it up in verse number 24. It says, And and as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, this is Paul, But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. Hey, there's a lot in that. You can preach a sermon on truth and soberness. That's needed in the church world today. We're drunk on carnality in the church. We're, we're drunk on false pretenses of, of, of religion. Having a form of it, but not knowing the power of it. We're drunk on the tapestries of religion and not the, the sincerity of it. Not the sincerity of God is far different matter. We can, everybody can go through the motions, but you realize the most important thing is being changed. It's the most important thing is that God change us, that God take out that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh, that we no longer be bound by the dictates of our flesh, but that we no longer be bound by the dictates of our old nature, but that we are new creations in Christ Jesus, that old things are passed away and all things are new. And yes, people will call you mad. Can you tough that out? Is that okay? If, If people reject you and people say that you're crazy, is that okay? It's better to be crazy for God than to be lost without God. It's, it's better that other people think low of us than, than that the world esteem us and think that we're respectable. I would rather have God's respect than this world's. And, and, and go ahead and settle it that you can't have both. Go ahead and settle that. Because if you think you can have both, you, you've misread somewhere. God's called you to stand out, not fit in. He didn't tell you to go live in a convent somewhere and live in a bubble. He told you to live in this world, but to stand out from it. Amen? The church has kind of mixed that up. But anyways, he he says he speaks forth the truth, words of truth and soberness. But watch this. Paul's continuing on. He says, for the king knows these things. He's talking about King Agrippa. For the king knoweth of these things. 
before whom also I speak freely, for I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. So as Paul is speaking to Festus, he turns his attention to King Agrippa. He, he just says, you know, I know that the king's watching because a good king, a good steward over their domain watches things, right? You, 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 you begin to see when your kid acts funny. When a mom asks, tell me the real story, the best thing is the kid go ahead and tell the real story. But you, you can see things going on, and a good king understands and sees. And, he, and Paul says, I know the king has noticed something because this wasn't done in a corner. Now watch, watch what he says, and he, and he addresses King Agrippa. In verse 27, he says, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Wow. Paul's testimony almost saved King Agrippa. Paul's testimony, just his testimony, almost saved King Agrippa. Now, there's a couple of things that you could point out in that, but, but number one is Christian was not a, a, a derogatory term. That was their name. They were first called Christians in Antioch, the Bible tells us. But notice what he says here. You almost persuaded me to be a Christian. Now, you know, you, you know, it's the spirit that persuades. It wasn't Paul doing the persuading. Paul was a vessel. You're a vessel. The spirit is the one that speaks through you. This is why you always pray, Lord, tell me what to tell my children. Tell me what to share with my neighbor. Lord, tell me what to share with my boss. Lord, help me understand how and what to say in that time. Lord, anoint me with those words that I need. Amen? So we know it was the Spirit that was doing the persuading, but Paul gets the credit, but notice what he says. His response, verse 29. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. So Paul's response is, that's not good enough, basically. I wish that you were almost and altogether like me, except he was standing there with prison bonds. And everyone. But here's the thing. A lot of times people will settle for almost. Almost counts in horseshoes, counts in hand grenades, doesn't count in the kingdom of God. Doesn't count in the kingdom of God. You either are saved or you are lost. You're not almost saved. You're not almost lost. You either are a drunkard or you are sober. You're not kind of drunk or kind of sober. You either are full of the spirit or you are empty of it. You're not kind of full. You don't have anybody kind of baptized in the Holy Ghost. You don't have anybody kind of walking in the power of the Spirit and kind of not. It's like you, you, you can put half your tank diesel and half of it unleaded gas. Watch how far you go. You're, you're made to run on high octane. You're made to run on the Holy Spirit. But if the Holy Spirit's not in you and not flowing through you, guess what? 
You're about as good as that diesel tank with unleaded gas in it. Why is this thing not working? I turned it on. I'm slamming on the gas pedal, and we're not going anywhere. Have you ever felt like that in your Christian life? You ever felt like that? You just slam on the gas pedal, but nothing is happening? Could it be that we're almost where we need to be, but not altogether where God wants us to be? You know, almost, like I said, it counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, but not in the kingdom of God. Not in the kingdom of God. You, you are either free or you're in bondage. You're not kind of free. You don't have kind of freedom. You either have liberty in Christ or you're still a slave to the world. Which is it? Which is it? You see, in the kingdom of God, it's like that. We talked earlier about the, the, the church in the book of Revelation. He, he said, I would rather you be hot or cold. Right? What's almost cold? And what's almost hot? Lukewarm. And Jesus said if you were lukewarm, he would spew you out of his mouth. The kingdom of God is about you either are or you aren't. Many people down through the ages were almost there. Almost there. Many people were almost there. Some went ahead and went through and some didn't. Probably the most notorious was the rich young ruler. He was almost there. Do you remember the story of him? Let's go over there and look at that story of the rich young ruler. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter number 18. He was almost there. He just didn't quite get it. One of the things that you'll see as we go through this message is that almost mountain is often too steep. If you look at your circumstances, or if you look at the cost, without seeing Jesus is the reward, the mountain of almost will be too much for you. Now, I don't know where your almost is. You might be almost filled with the Spirit. You might be almost free. You, you, you might be almost saved like King Agrippa. I don't know where your almost is, but I know the mountain of almost is only conquered by people that look to God, not to the cost, not to the circumstance, but look to the creator. Only those that keep their eyes on Christ will go over the mountain of almost and say, you know what? I don't care. I'd rather have God. I don't care what my reputation is. I don't care what it costs. I don't care what I lose. I know what I'll gain, Jesus. And that's what I want. See, when the, the, the first church, when Jesus told them to tarry in Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high, do you know that they didn't almost tarry? Do you know that they didn't play Monopoly while they were waiting on the Holy Spirit? Did you know that they, they, they didn't have... Um, you know, they didn't, they didn't play games. They, they didn't have to turn on the radio so that they could, you know, talk about the ball game. They were actually just pursuing God. They weren't almost tarrying. They were truly tarrying before God. And when men and women from whatever background, from whatever nationality, God's no respecter of, of your personhood. For any group of people that are believers get together and tarry for the Spirit of God, God's coming. 
And God's coming here. You get people from different backgrounds, different places, different stories, but when they begin to pursue after God, God's coming. You know how I know that? One of my favorite stories. Example of my life, the prodigal. When the prodigal begins to come home, guess who meets him? The father. And I promise you that in no way at all is that prodigal's father better than our father. You take one step towards God, he's running to you. You draw near to God, and the Bible profoundly says that he'll draw near to you. The thing is, you can't almost draw near. Drawing near is letting go of the other, whatever the other is. That's what drawing near is. Drawing near, you might even have to pray about it and say, Lord, what is it that's in my life that's, that I'm holding on to that's not of you? Is it my pride? Is it something of this world? Is it a person's affection or attention that I need more than you? What is it, Lord? So here we see in, in Luke chapter 18, this is one of the examples we're looking at tonight about almost. The almost brigade. The almost brigade. This is a, a, a group who faced this mountain called almost. Circumstances or the cost kept them. Luke chapter 18. Beginning in verse number 18. A certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Doesn't that, that I mean, that's running in the same lane as Agrippa. You almost persuaded me, Paul. He's saying, what do I got to do to get that eternal life? I hear, you, I hear your message. Think about this. This man hears the voice of Jesus. The literal voice of Jesus. He hears it. He sees Jesus. And he says, what do I got to do to get some of that eternal life? Jesus begins to minister to him. And every time Jesus ministers to somebody, he always has a way of, of getting to the root issue. You realize that? Jesus can read us. We, we can hide our, our issues from others. But the Lord will put his finger on it. I'll never forget one time I was ministering at another church far, far away. And I was ministering a message and talking about the, the woman that was in adultery and you know, all these things, and after the message, this lady put her finger in my face. How dare you? How did you know that I was prostituting? What? I didn't know. It was the Holy Spirit that put his finger on that. I didn't even talk about that. But do you know that the Spirit of God, he'll put his finger on an issue, Right? God knows how to do that. And over and over in the New Testament, as you see Jesus, whenever he goes to eat supper somewhere, he goes to minister to someone somewhere, it says that he, he knew it was in their heart. He'll begin, to, he'll begin to preach to you about something totally different. Once the Spirit begins working, he'll begin to put his finger on an issue. But anyways, as Jesus begins to, to minister to this young ruler, He's, he's putting his finger on an issue. He says in verse 19, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one. That's God. In other words, he's saying, Until you're ready to call me God, don't call me good. 
Don't go almost there. That's what he's saying. Don't go almost there. Don't call me good if you're not ready to call me God. Look at verse 20. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and mother. And the ruler, he said, All of these I've kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that thou hast. Well, you, you, you mean my car? Wait, wait, wait. You... You mean my, my computer? Wait, wait. You, are you talking about uh, my boat? What are you talking about? Yet there's one thing that I like to sell all. How many of you know what all means? Do you have to get a dictionary to read that? You know that that, that uh, divides some churches. Some churches, some people are so smart they don't know what all means. All means all. In the Greek, the Hebrew, or whatever language you speak, all means all. Look, so all that thou hast, distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. This guy got almost there. He was ready to inherit eternal life. He was ready to, to do whatever was necessary. Tell me what to do. I'm going to do it. You might have... Uh, written the check that you can't cash there buddy that's what happened he was almost there he said whatever what do i got to do to get that eternal life i'm here to do it do, do i need to serve on saturdays from two to four okay sign me up do do i need to open the door for people at the synagogue okay sign me up i'll do that i'll even be there early on on saturday or sunday whatever day you want me to be there lord i'll be there i'll be early i'll do it once a week, right? Jesus said, I want everything. I want all of you. I want you to come follow me. Hmm. He probably said, uh, what was that? What was that? I want you to sell all, and I want you to follow me. Do you know that all the disciples got that same call? All the disciples got that call. Come follow me. I'll make you what? Fishers of men. But, but Lord, this is how I provide. This is how, this is my substance. This is how, this is, you gave me this ability to fish. You made me to be a fisher, yes. But now, you're coming into new life. Now you're not just going to be a fisher. You're going to be a fisher of men. And, and, and all the disciples that followed the Lord got the same gauntlet. Come follow me. Come follow me. It says in verse 23, when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Mm. He was almost there, guys. He was almost there. Do you know his almost would have counted if it was a hand grenade or a horseshoe? His almost would have got him close enough. It would have been close to a ringer. It is almost at the bullseye. But in the kingdom of God, almost doesn't count. You got to go all the way. In the kingdom of God, you've got to go completely in the place of surrender. Completely in the place of letting go and giving all unto God. You've got to get into that place where he is everything to you. Where there is no second. 
where he is all that you desire. What I said earlier was almost mountain. The mountain of almost is often too steep. If you look at the circumstances or you look at the cost, it'll always be too much. But if you look to God, if God is your reward, no mountains higher. No mountains higher. If God is your reward, if God is the prize of your heart, there is no mountain of almost that will stop you. Didn't stop Paul or Peter or James or John or any of the others. Didn't stop any of them. And down through the ages, there's been many saints that have gotten to this place. One of the most famous uh, evangelist missionaries of 1900s was uh, C.T. Studd. He was most famous cricket player of his day. Well, you don't know that. I, I don't really even understand cricket either. But it was a sport, and he was really famous at it. He was really wealthy. His dad was one of the wealthiest people in England. His dad got saved, filled with the Spirit. Guess what happens to his son? A lot of times, takes the daddy of the home to lead the ship right. And, 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 and the dad gets saved. He gets filled with the Spirit. Guess what happens? The, the, his two sons get saved, filled. Powerful. What does he do with all of his money? He sits down and he writes a check to D.L. Moody, Charles Spurgeon, and about three other preachers. And then he goes to Africa and lives and dies among the heathen, spreading the gospel. He literally gave it all. He wrote some of the most profound books, not long, not long. One of the most profound books, C.T. Studd. You talk about somebody that gave it all. But do you know that down through the ages, there's countless, countless Christians that have done the same thing. There's people today that we don't even know their name that are probably even as much or greater than works than C.T. Studd has done. One of the most famous preachers today, I remember they asked him, Who, who's the best preacher in the world today? He said, you don't know him. Well, they, they said, well, what do you mean I don't know him? I want to I go to his church. I want to see him. He said, the greatest preacher in the world today is probably preaching to a crowd of five in a remote village that doesn't have electricity. But he's faithful, and he's on fire, and he's ministering the bread of life to these people. So we see here that almost didn't cut it for this guy. Almost didn't cut it for this guy. I'm going to share with you a few other stories about almost, but I want to share with you one from uh, Psalms real quick. Turn with me to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. And we'll begin in verse number one at the beginning of this. In verse one, truly God is good to Israel, even as such as are of a clean heart. Who's God good to? Those clean in heart. Are you clean in heart? If you're not clean in heart, ask the Lord to cleanse you. Ask the Lord to cleanse you. It says God's good, even uh, good to Israel, even as such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. There's that word, almost. My steps had well nigh slipped. What happened to this guy? He said, God's good to folks, but I started falling. What was he doing? He was backsliding. 
He's backing up, not going forward. You see the big trucks, when they start backing up, they go beep, beep, beep. He's saying my life was going beep, beep, beep. His feet were slipping. He wasn't going forward in God anymore. You know whether you're going forward in God. You know whether you're going forward in God. This guy's being honest. How would you like for some of your diary to be read by generations? Look at this guy backsliding. But he said his feet were beginning to slip. Why? Why was his feet beginning to slip? How did he go from being in that place of where, where God is good? How did he go from that place where everything was flowing right, where everything was awesome? How did he go from there to my feet are slipping? Well, if you go up a mountain, you're not careful, you begin to lose traction, don't you? You begin to lose traction. Anytime almost is introduced into your life, it becomes a steep grade. Okay? It becomes a steep grade. Now watch this. Here, here's where that mountain got introduced into his life. Verse 3. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their debt, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. What's he saying? He began to look at other people and he thought they were doing better than him. As soon as he began to look at that, guess what happened to his spiritual walk? His feet started slipping. He wasn't going forward anymore. He started going backwards. We call it backsliding. But his feet, his feet just began to lose traction. He wasn't progressing in God. He wasn't going deeper in God. He wasn't getting refilled and refreshed by the presence of God. Those times of refreshing that come by the presence of the Holy Spirit weren't there. Struggling on his own with his own strength. And the more he looked at his neighbor, and he said, that guy doesn't serve God. And look, his life is grand. Let's be honest. You remember what it was like when you was a sinner? Life wasn't grand. The wages of sin is death. You can't drink away pain. You can't drug away pain. You're always going to wake up the next day. You're always going to have problems. In fact, it's going to compound. The wages of sin is dead. You'll get involved in relationships or, or situations that you don't belong in and begin to wreak havoc on yourself and on others. The whirlwind will be reaped anytime sin is sown. And this guy is so blinded. What has happened? The enemy has brought an illusion. That's what happened. Do you not know that, that we have an enemy, the devil? And don't you know that whenever he offered that fruit to Eve, he made it look pretty? It didn't look bad. There, you know, I like to eat apples, but if it's got a worm in it, I'm not eating it. And, 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 and Eve, for some reason, she saw an illusion of how pretty this fruit was that God had forbid. Well, it's the same thing here. This guy, he begins to see, what about... You know, these people that don't live for God, I mean, they have an awesome life. 
now you're starting to get into the territory of being dumb. That's how sin does. Sin, sin knocks our senses out, doesn't it? Sin makes us where we can't make good decisions. And you'll begin to look at people and say, man, they, they, their life is great. And on the inside, they're broken. On the inside, they have no joy. On the inside, they look for peace, but they never can grasp it. On the inside, they're striving for the affection of people. We have the affection of God. We don't need the affection of people. We don't need to appease men. We don't need affirmation from the world. We get affirmation from God. God says, you're his child. That's affirmation. I don't need anything from the world. But when we begin to look at these people, when we begin to look at the world just like this guy, his feet begin to slip. He began to go backwards quicker and quicker sometimes. It can go too fast. When you begin to not walk with the Lord and not progress in the, God, in, in the things of God, sometimes you'll get hard-hearted quicker than you think. It's just one time, Pastor. Ah, it's just one time. That's all the devil needs, though. Pastor, it's just one time. Come on now. Don't, don't, don't think that we all got to be holy rollers, Pastor. Okay, okay. It's one time. One time's all the devil needs. You going to give him that? He had me for years. I don't plan on giving him me back. How about you? Did the devil have you? You going to let him have one more time? You see, this, this guy, he said he, 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 was, he was going forward in God, and he knows that God is good to those that are, he's good to Israel, he's good to those that have a clean heart, but then he began to look at these other people, and he's like, you know, they don't, they, they get to eat pork. They, they don't, they can go work on the Sabbath. They don't have to bring these sacrifices all the time. They don't have to live a holy and separate life. They, don't, they, they can laugh at the dirty jokes and watch the dirty movies, and they can do the things that God says not to do, and, and, and they're okay. They're getting, in fact, he said they're getting stronger. They're getting stronger. What is that? That's a mirage from the devil. That's an illusion from the devil. The devil's a liar. Jesus said he's been a liar from the beginning. If there's one modus operandi of the devil, it's because he's a liar. He's a liar. So here we see that there's this grand illusion. Anytime somebody goes into sin, like this guy, always understand a life of sin is a life of vanity. Now, vanity, sometimes when you talk about vanity, you think about somebody that just looks in front of a mirror, right? Vanity. Think about this spiritually, guys. Vanity is when you never have the affirmation that you look good enough. That's the true root of vanity. Vanity is when you always got to look better. Why? Who are you trying to please? 
Because we please God when we believe on the Lord Jesus. We please God whenever we believe on Him and walk according to His Word and in His Spirit. When we lean on Him and not our own understanding, God is pleased. But see, when, when you begin to look to the things of the world, life becomes vain. In other words, you'll never achieve that which you desire. Does that not define sin? You'll never achieve that which you desire. And someone who spends hours in front of the mirror doing their, this and doing that, you, you see that picture of vanity, that's a life of sin. Now, I'm not saying people that stand in front of a mirror, sin, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying it's a picture of sin because a, a sinner can never receive what their heart desires. It's never good enough. Sin is never full. Hell is never full. Sin is never full. The flesh will always go that direction because that is the way the flesh is right now. We're part of first Adam. And because of that, the flesh is corrupted. And it's never satisfied. The flesh is never satisfied. Anytime the flesh gets indulged, it wants to indulge more. You ever tried to scratch a mosquito bite once? Can't do it. Sin's the same way. You open the door... There's a highway now. Well, when, when we're talking about almost, he's, he's saying, you know what? I, 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 began, I began to look over here at these people, and it looks like these sinners are prospering, and I was, I was almost taken aback. My feet began to slip. I began to go backwards. How many times does this happen? I believe this happened to Mark. When you think about Mark, do you remember Mark? He, he went with Paul on missionary journey. Remember what happened to Mark? He, they were out there on the missionary journey, and he sees some pretty crazy things. He sees Paul cast this devil out of this girl, and what, what's Mark ready to do? I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go back fishing. I'm ready to go plant a garden somewhere or something, but I'm ready to go home. Now, if you know a man or woman of God that's got a heart for God and they're on the mission and things like that, you don't quit on them. And it got to Paul. Obviously, it got to Paul. But Mark, if, if you look back in the book of Acts, Mark kind of got into this same place. He was going forward. He was on this missionary with this apostle. Think about it. How would you like to go on a missionary journey with an apostle? That's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You, you're actually living out the Bible. And his stomach can't handle it. He begins to slip. He begins to see there's persecution. That first place Paul, any time Paul preached, there was either, you know, revival or they were having a revolution trying to kill him. I mean, he, he, that's what happened. Well, and, and one time Paul preached, a guy fell asleep, fell out the window dead. Paul had to go lay hands on him, and he revived. Oh, Eutychus, how would you like that? How would you like that tag about you and your biography in heaven? And that's the guy that fell asleep in Paul's sermon and died. 
Oh, Eutychus. But, but Mark gets to go on this journey. He gets to go on this journey, and guess what? He sees the first sign of opposition. He, fe- he sees the first sign of this isn't what it's all cracked up to be. Anytime you begin to go forward in God, you'll, you'll get to those places where it's not what it's all cracked up to be. Sometimes in our imagination, things look rosy. It looks gold-plated. It looks, ah. Uh, but the reality of the matter is sometimes different. Sometimes people get on our nerves. Sometimes our personalities clash. Sometimes we think they should have gone left instead of right. Why, why did we stop at this place, Paul? And then they begin to throw tomatoes at us. I thought they were going to welcome us, Paul. I thought you are supposed to be an apostle. If you're an apostle, they should be welcoming us, not throwing tomatoes at us, Paul. He's ready to quit. But at the end of the day, well, not at the end of the day, but at the end of the season, Mark comes to his senses. And Paul welcomes him back. Paul brings him back into ministry. Paul said, bring Mark. He's profitable to me now. But Mark had to get to that place where he desired God. Mark had to get to that place where he wasn't almost there. You see, he, when, when, when Mark went backwards, he was almost a disciple. He had to get to that place where he was almost and altogether like Paul. He had to get to that place where he was almost and altogether like Paul. I want to ask you, are you almost or altogether there? Not part of you. Not part of you. You know, one of the other people as I was praying, I was thinking about was David's wife, Michelle. You remember her? Was was Saul's daughter. As I was praying, I was thinking about this one. She, she had a man of God for a husband. Right? She had a man of God for a husband. But guess what? It wasn't what it was all cracked up to be. In her mind, there was an illusion. There was a rosy scenario. But whenever Paul, I mean, whenever David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back, when he was bringing the Ark back, remember what he was doing? He was dancing. He was dancing. And she said, now he's embarrassing me. He's embarrassing me. He's supposed to be next in line to being king. And he's out there acting a fool. He's dancing before God. Now, I'm paraphrasing what she said, obviously. What did David say? I can get even more foul than this. He was dancing before God a little. But once he knew it perturbed his wife, It wasn't just because it perturbed her. It's because she wasn't in love with God like he was. It's because there was something there that wasn't right. It was because there was something there that she was holding back. She was caring more about what people thought than what God thought. Think about it. The ark's coming back. This is a time of celebration. You're supposed to let go. And she says, this guy... See, you, 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 you know, you get with a man or a woman of God, you might get more than you want. Well, here's the thing, though. David said, you know what? I can get even more vile than this. 
Meaning, you're going to have to check yourself. You're going to have to check yourself, Michelle. And, 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 you know, you know how the story goes. But what I want you to see is that sometimes, sometimes the enemy can make the picture look great. But if you're not willing to go almost and all together, there's going to be friction. There's going to be constant friction. And in this marriage, there was friction because she wasn't, she wasn't going all the way. She was almost there. She was okay with him worshiping God as long as he didn't get crazy with it. That's what I'm saying. She was okay. With it. Sometimes, you know, you might say, well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm okay going to that church. I just don't want to get carried away. I don't, you know, just let me, just let me, uh, you know, be a bystander. <laughs> but Michelle, she, she was wanting to stay in the camp of almost. She didn't want to go to the place of altogether. And I want you to know God wants you to be altogether for him. I want you to know God is not interested in us stopping at almost. God's not interested in us going through a form of religion but not knowing the power thereof. And I got news for somebody. God's not going to bring the power until you come all the way. If you stop at almost, you'll always be half diesel and half unleaded. You'll never experience the depth and the power and the fullness that God has for you until you let go and give God all. Well, we've seen through a couple of these scenarios and stories how this goes. And if you're in Psalm 73, let's look at the end of this. Let's see how the writer of this psalm kind of concludes this. In, in, in verse 21, we'll just simplify it. We'll go to verse 21 and read through this. He said, thus was my heart grieved and I was pricked in my reins. In other words, Lord, this was getting to me. This, there, there was a, conf, a conflicting issue and it was getting to him. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was a beast before thee. Hey, that's repentance right there. That's telling God, Lord, you're right. I wasn't. When was the last time you told the Lord that? When was the last time you said, Lord, I'm going to do things your way, not mine? I'm going to do things your way, Lord, not mine. You're the potter. Come on. Come on. You're the potter. I'm the clay, Lord. You tell me. I'll go. You speak, Lord. I'm listening. And, and so this was a, a, a prayer of repentance. And look at verse 23. He said, nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast held me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Now, I want you to pay attention closely. Don't just look at the words. Let the words get in you. This guy had a, a, an issue. He had an issue because he was seeing the wicked prosper. And it caused him to start backsliding a little. 
let me say it softer. He started drying out. He started getting cranky. He, he started getting carnal. He, he started getting agitated. He got to where he had no more patience. He got to where he cut people off. He got to where he would sigh under his breath. Again? Pastor going to make us sing that song again? We teaching on this again? It's, it's those things that, that begin to surface. That's what he's saying. He began to, his feet began to slip. Are your feet slipping? Dear Lord, don't let your feet slip. But if they are, watch this. Watch this. He said, verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. You know, there's a lot of people that can't say that. A lot of people are so infatuated with other people. Look, one of the things about marriage, you got to love God more than you love that person. Same thing with children. you got to love God more than you love them. God's number one. He's not going to play second fiddle. Watch. Who do I have? Who do I have in heaven and who do I have on earth? It's God. God. Look at verse 26. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Once you turn that page and you say, you know what? I'm going to desire God more than anyone in heaven and anyone on earth. Once you turn that page, God will become your strength. See, whenever somebody gets involved in a life of sin and somebody gets involved in, in carnal things, they begin to desire the attention or the affection of others somewhere along the way. He said, God, my, my flesh and heart fails, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Now, do you see the turn of events? If you look at the beginning of the psalm and then the end of it, it's a complete 180. At the beginning of it, he said that the wicked were prospering. They had an awesome life. These sinners, they were, they were living in high cotton. They had it all. They didn't have any issues like we got. That's what he saw at the beginning. But as he works through to repentance and he comes to the place where God is his everything, now he sees, you know what? The, the, look what he says. The, they that are far from thee perish. They shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go whoring from thee. It is desiring something other than God. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. What is that? That's the completion of it. That's, that's where he comes back and God is his everything. He didn't stop it almost. He continued to the point where God was altogether all that he desired. God was altogether all that he desired. 
Now let me close in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to just point out one thing over here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This, this is a, just an important point I want to close with right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want you to see what God's looking for. I want you to see what men look for, what religion looks for, and I want you to see what God looks for. You, you, you'll see it here as, as Paul's addressing the church in Corinth. How many of you know, we, we, we're not going to go through all the background, church in Corinth was messed up. They had it going on, but they had a lot going on. They were right in a lot and wrong in a lot. And anyways, Apostle Paul's writing this letter to them. Look in verse, chapter 5, verse number 12. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that you may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. Now, I'm stopping right there because I want you to see, I want you to see this. The false teachers that were trying to lead the church in Corinth away, they were getting the church in Corinth involved in things of the flesh and in things of the law. They were getting them away from God. He said, I'm trying to give you an answer for those people that glory in appearance and not in heart. Do you know an almost Christian can have an appearance of good? An almost Christian can appear good. Reminded of the words of Charles Spurgeon. He said, discernment is not knowing right from wrong. Discernment is knowing right from almost right. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to know right from wrong. Even when you was a sinner, you knew it was wrong. The conviction of the Holy Ghost was there. You knew. But discernment, true biblical discernment, discerns between right and almost right. Almost right is where the devil leads people astray. Almost is the place where the devil can render you powerless and impotent in the things of God, but still give you an appearance of a godly person. That's exactly where he wants people to be, and that's exactly the issue that Paul hit. He said, I'm giving you an answer so that you can talk to those folks that glory in appearance and not in heart. I want you to know God's not satisfied till he has all your heart. Not almost all your heart. Not almost all your heart. He wants it all. And you might be sitting here saying, Pastor, he's got it all. Good. Keep this in the bank because there's going to come a time when you notice the wicked prospering. It's bound to happen. The devil's bound to bring an illusion to you. Put that in the bank, in the spiritual bank, so you begin to see when your feet begin to slip, you know what to do. God wants your heart. Letting it all go again, that you may have all of him again. That'll propel you deeper in the things of God. That's what God wants from his people. Not almost, not appearance, but all, all. All together, all our heart. And when we give God that, he gives us himself. Did you know that? He's not a derelict father. 
He's not a derelict father. When you draw near to God, says in James, you draw nigh unto God, he'll draw nigh unto you. God knows when we draw near with half a heart. Doesn't he? Can you fool a pastor? Come on. Can you fool a Sunday school teacher? Can you fool your spouse, your parents, your children, your neighbors? Can you fool people? But does God know when we're coming with all of our heart or half of it? Do you think he's going to pour out his spirit on someone who surrendered halfway but has that appearance? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Otherwise, that rich young ruler wouldn't have went away sad. Right? This evening, I want to encourage you to draw near to God with all your heart. And watch. Watch God. Watch God bring glory to your soul. Watch God let the circumstances that have been defeating you get smaller and smaller and smaller as the Spirit gets deeper and wider in your soul. Watch God move when you go from almost to altogether. God is a rewarder. Amen? When you believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those that diligently what? Seek Him. Hebrews 11, 6. Will you seek him tonight? Hallelujah.